0: Well, I know it's, it's such a joy to be with you, and I know that you're disappointed if I don't add to the announcements. So I'm going to just say a few words about this coming Pray 132. Guys, I believe this is, this is about what's going on right now. God wants to make us a house of prayer. Jesus turned the tables over because the priorities weren't right, and he said, my house will be called a house of prayer. I'm very excited about this Pray 132 coming up. Jesus said, when you pray, here's how you do it. Go into your innermost room and shut the door. Pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father will see you in secret and he will reward you openly. That's one translation, reward you openly. So in this prayer, 132, instead of coming to church, to the church prayer room, what I'm wanting you to do is, is sign up for an hour or two-hour slot, whenever it is, and then I'm asking you to designate a room of your house that is going to be the, the, the prayer room. And to do things to make it attractive for prayer, to, to get music in there and maybe candles and whatever, something to write with, some, something devotional that you're going to do, that that you're going to meet God and that when your alarm goes off, whenever that is, you're going to go in there. You're going to leave this world, which is probably the rest of your house, and you're going to go into this place and you're going to go into that room, whether it's a, a closet or a... a A specific uh, like the the storage room or if it's just a room upstairs but there's a designated room. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to shut the door and shutting the door in our culture means more than just the, the physical door. It means you're not taking your phone in there. It means that all the things that distract us are left behind and we're going to go into this place and courageously seek God. Whether we're, it's just us or our spouse and us or we're taking the whole family in there, but we are going to do this. We're going to be before God and we're going we're to make this 132 hour chain. This is something we can do together even in lockdown. We can be part of this thing. And as a church, what a beautiful statement to God that we are coming together. We're each doing our little part and giving him an offering of 132 hours straight of prayer. I encourage you to be part of the worship and waiting because that's the first two hours of the 132 hours. And then sign up online. And if God speaks to you during that time, that's why I want you to have something to write with. We're expecting God to speak to us. We're expecting God to give us stuff. And some will be personal, but some might be for everyone. And so we'll have a way for you to communicate what God might be giving you that's for all of us. Um, We'll communicate that to you. But here's how I'm gonna end my little advertisement. The Father who sees what you're doing in secret will reward you openly. Pastor Tom, what does that mean? I don't know. But I know I want that reward. I know I want the Father's reward in my life, whatever it is. And frankly, I'm jealous that you have that reward too. All right. End of advertisement. Okay, we are starting a series today. I am just uh, on fire about this. It's called Precious Faith. The study is in the book of 1 Peter. And so I'm going to be reading 1 Peter 1 through 12. Uh, that will be my text today, and it will be my text next week. As we, It's going to take two weeks to introduce this book. So here we go. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels look into. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross, that, Lord, you would use our technology, and, Lord, by a wonder of grace that we would be able to see And hear you today. Lord have your way in every single heart. Every single living room. Every single place. This is being watched and listened to. Lord we love you. And we commit this time to you now. In Jesus name. Amen. Precious. Faith. That your faith that is being tested. Is more precious. Than gold. Precious means of great value, something that is costly. Peter says that we have precious, our faith is precious. A few verses later in verse 19, he says we're redeemed by precious blood. And then in chapter 2, verse 6, he calls Jesus the cornerstone precious that has been laid by God. Everything that Peter is going to talk about in this book is through this eyes of the tremendous value of our faith and the tremendous cost that was paid so that we could have this faith. All right, so we are studying the whole book of 1 Peter. When you study a book, it's really important that you're patient. Because God does speak for us today and gives us applications as we read to apply to our life today and to this would help our family and this would help uh, with this attitude. And and God God gives us applications. But to get the fullness of Scripture, you need to be a little more patient and start with the context. This was written to certain people at a time and to take time to understand who it was written to what they were going through at that time and what the message probably meant to them at that time is very powerful. Then we pull out those, those truths that we realize and because God is the same and people are generally the same and our trials and our things that we go through aren't that much different, we, we pull it out of its context and then we apply it to us today. But we start with context. So what's going on In this passage, Peter tells us that he is writing um, from Rome, but he calls Rome Babylon. This is chapter 5, verse 13. Ancient Babylon, of course, has been long destroyed, but Babylon represents an earthly kingdom that that is opposed to God. Right now, Nero is the emperor in in the days that he is writing. Um, Emperor worship is is part of it. They treat the the, the, the emperor as if he's divine. And it's all about the kingdom of man. And we're building something for the kingdom of man and the glory of man. Just like Babylon. He's writing this um, during a time when persecution is... Rising in the church. It hasn't become full-blown yet, but it is rising in the church, in the entire Roman Empire. It's going to come to its fullness very soon. In fact, uh, church history tells us that both Paul and Peter are martyred under Nero. Nero himself commits suicide in 68 A.D. So we know we're we're sometime in the 60s. The the great worldwide, empire wide persecution after Nero burned Rome doesn't start till 64 AD. It's sometime before that. We know that Paul is still alive because Peter references Paul in 2 Peter, which he says is the second letter that he's writing to this same group of people. And he he talks about our beloved brother Paul and how people are twisting some of his writings and the interpretation of his writings. And then he says this, as they do the other scripture. So Paul's letters are already circulated and Peter himself calls him his beloved brother and, is, and honors Paul and actually recognizes that these letters that Paul is writing are not just Paul, they are from the Holy Spirit. And the evidence of Romans and Ephesians. Are both in the phrases, some of the phrases that he uses in 1 Peter. So Paul wrote those in the 50s. So this is, we're probably between 60 and 64 AD. This is what scholars believe in, of when Peter is writing this. He's writing to the churches. That Paul planted in Asia Minor. Today uh, we know this uh, area as Turkey. And this is what's called a circular letter. He's writing to five regions. The church in five regions. And he's going to send it by a messenger. And this letter is going to be read in each place. It's it's a circular epistle uh, meant for the use in all five of these places. He is writing the letter through a secretary. So 1 Peter 5, verse 12, he says this. By Silvanus, which is Silas, it's it's the longer name for Silas, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. The only questions of authorship on 1 Peter, because the whole early church recognized this is Peter writing, this is the Apostle Peter, all of the early fathers said it was Peter, it's it's unquestioned. The only question is, how can an unlearned fisherman from Galilee write such perfect Greek? It's just, it's a masterpiece in the Greek. And... Uh, The answer is that he's writing through a secretary. He's writing through someone who is Greek. Peter certainly knew Greek. Galilee was where the Gentiles were. Lots of Gentiles were in Galilee. But he's writing through a secretary. And then 2 Peter, which the questions have been more about 2 Peter's authorship, and how could the same person write both? Of these? second Peter's a mess in the Greek. It's just like this. Just it's just messy. How could the same person? Well, this solves that. Peter himself says, "I'm writing through Sylvanus. Sylvanus is the one writing it down. He's the one writing the letter. I'm just giving him what to say." And Silas is making it. Second Peter, um, I believe Peter wrote that one by his own hand. He's writing to them. Because they are suffering and are grieved, he says, by their various trials. He's clearly heard word from them, about them, possibly from Silas. Silas traveled with Paul. Silas was part of planting those churches. It's very possible that Silas is the one that said, Peter, could you write a letter to these guys? I know these guys. We we were there. Paul and I were there. We planted these churches, and and now we're hearing the, the reports of what they're going through. It would mean so much. We don't know this, but I'm just imagining that possibly Silas said, "Please, please write them this letter. How are they suffering? Social and economic problems. I just I want you to kind of get into where we, the, this. These are all." Roman provinces, they're mainly Greek-based churches. Um, A few Jews are in each one, but they're mainly Gentiles. Um, But I want you to think about these three difficulties. One is family. Um, Under Roman law, the man was the head of the house and ruled with absolute authority. If that man himself wasn't a Christian... You can imagine the persecution of wives, servants, and children that had become Christians. Constant hardship, constant accusation, and uh, and unhappiness. The Jews in every region were persecuting Christians. Rome treated Christians as if they were a, a Jewish sect. Well, Jews resented that. And so read the book of Acts. You'll see Jews were always uh, suspicious, accusing, persecuting, even physically persecuting Christians. And so in all of these places, there's probably conflicts coming from the Jews and then from the Romans themselves. They believed in emperor worship. And there were a number of rituals that they expected people of standing to go through. Um, you didn't have to actually believe in them, but you needed to, to do them, pinch the salt and offer it to the emperor who is divine and go through these things. And, and of course, Christians wouldn't be part of that. And so that's going to take down your social standing. And in that day, it's going to take down your economic standing. There are certain jobs you simply can't get or you lose because you're not willing to go through it. So they're suffering. They're suffering. They're suffering in economic ways, in social rejection. They're probably suffering in their home. We don't know exactly all the suffering, but it has come back to Peter, and he is writing them in the midst of this suffering. So I want you to imagine for just a moment, you're one of those Christians. You heard the gospel from Paul and Silas. And now, since that time, early scraps of the Gospels have been circulating. So you know the story. These are, these are rewritten and written down and, and probably some of the Gospels are completely written. And, and you've read about Peter. You know Peter. You know Peter's one of the main characters. He's Jesus' right-hand man. And, and you, you, know, you know this stuff. But to hear directly from the right-hand man are you kidding me? This isn't just somebody that had a, 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 an experience on the road to Damascus. This is somebody that walked with him. Peter says in 1 Peter 5.1 that he is the, an eyewitness of the sufferings of Christ. This is someone who walked with him. They have not seen Jesus. But the one that's writing has. He's walked with him. He's seen him. What is this letter Going to mean. So, point two is living in the culture of heaven. Even though Peter speaks with the authority of an apostle, what he's excited about is being a Christian. So, he says this. You have joy unspeakable, full of glory. And I'm asking myself, how do you know? How, how do you, Peter, how could you have any idea that they have this joy unspeakable, full of glory? Here's what I believe. I believe Peter is so filled with what the gospel does for ordinary people. That this is, this is planned by the Father who foreknew you. This is the Spirit himself has sanctified you or set you apart. It has been accomplished for you by the blood of Jesus. He's got the whole trinity in this thing. And in his great mercy, he has caused you to be born again. So Peter is writing as a Christian the the tremendous privileges and grace that has caused him such joy. And he can't imagine that anybody else wouldn't have the same joy that he has. He wants them to understand why they are suffering and how to respond to suffering. And so he says this about them, that they are exiles of the dispersion. Huh? What does that mean? And scholars looked at that, and the first thing you think of when you look at that is, Oh, Peter's writing to Jews because that was what, the dispers- that was, what was called when, when Babylon came in and destroyed Jerusalem. It's called the dispersion and they became exiles in Babylon. And so Peter must just be writing to the Jews in all these places. But he's not doing that. He's taking... Those words that apply to the Jews. And he's applying it to all Christians. Look at chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you are not a people... But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now listen to this. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. So he says this, that God has made a new nation. Paul says in Philippians 3.20, your citizenship now is in heaven. You're not from here anymore. You're from heaven. Your identity is from heaven. Your culture is from heaven. You're actually an exile down here. You're a foreigner down here. You are ju- you're a pilgrim. You're just traveling through. There, there's a reason why this culture is persecuting you because you're not part of this culture anymore. You're from a different country, a heavenly one. And that heavenly culture has a different identity for you. It has a different way of living. It has a different way of viewing life. And for you to understand why you're suffering and how to respond to suffering, you need to get into that culture. You need to understand that culture. You need to embrace this citizenship, the privilege of this citizenship, the power of this citizenship, the lifestyle of this citizenship. We are called to align with this heavenly culture and we're living down here as exiles then listen to this of the dispersion god in his divine sovereignty has dispersed us all over the world even though we're one people we're one holy nation we're one priesthood in the in the sovereignty of god he's dispersed us So that heaven's culture is is in homes and cities and businesses and schools. and, And so that there's this living witness all over the world that heaven has visited earth. And heaven's culture is being represented by these people that don't quite fit in. They're a peculiar people. They're not quite the same as us. What's with you? There, that's why he says in 1 Peter 3.15, be ready to answer anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you. Because you're going to confuse people. <laughs> set, as, set Christ as Lord in your heart. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. This is 1 Peter 3.15. I.e., get aligned with the culture of heaven. And then be ready. Because people are going to ask you, what's going on with you? You don't respond the same way we respond. You don't talk the same way we talk. What's going on with you? Why, why are you so heavy? Why do you have so much peace? You're in the same COVID-19 thing that we're in. You, you're going through, you should be in the same thing. Why aren't you experiencing the same things? And, and, and you're ready to give an answer. And it says with gentleness and respect, give that answer. This helps us understand why he says that he's writing from Babylon at the end. He's writing from the the main campus of exile to to everyone. That that represents, um, but it's not just Rome. He's not the only one in Babylon, really, because it's the Roman Empire. So they're all in Babylon. They are living like exiles in this world because their home is in heaven And this is just part of, this is temporary. This is temporary. We're just passing through. Embrace that. And then finally, the message of hope that we carry. He says, by God's great mercy, you have been raised up through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to a living hope, a living hope. A hope. A hope that is alive. A hope that is burning. And then he defines this hope. There's, there's two facets to this hope. One is what is reserved for you in heaven. There is a heavenly treasure that is different it's it's imperishable it's undefiled and it's unfading it's different than everything that's here everything that's here perishes it's it's fading and it's defiled that what is waiting for us there that he is protecting that God is keeping for us is undefiled it's imperishable and it's unfading. And it will be yours for all eternity. And we're just pilgrims passing through here. We only got a little more time. And pretty soon we'll be there. And this it's going to be way better than anything you could ever imagine. And Peter's very excited about the hope of what's coming. This salvation, it just got started down here. But the big event is coming still. Just you've got to make it a little longer. And then the second part of hope is not only is God keeping that treasure for you, But he's also keeping you for that treasure. He's going to make sure you get there. You are being kept right now by faith through the power of God. God is seeing to it that you're going to make it. And Peter is very excited about this hope. They call him scholars call him The apostle of hope. No one can give hope like Peter. First, (laughs) when he announces Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, it's very different than Paul. (laughs) When you read Paul's letters... Paul is always on the defense. Paul's always having to explain why he's an apostle and what experience he's had and and the troubles he's had. And he has to defend his own apostleship. Think how hard that is. Before you can give them the message, you've got to defend why you have authority to give them. There's none of that with Peter. Everybody knows Peter Peter's an apostle. Peter is the one we know most about uh, of all of the original apostles. We know More about Peter, like, when I say more, I mean like a hundred times more than any other apostle. Peter is just like the main event. He's the main spokesman. We know his story. He doesn't have to make any defense. He's just like Peter, an apostle. He's got authority to give hope. But he's also experienced failure that God is redeeming. He knows they can make it because he made it. Now, this is very, very interesting. I want you to just think about this for a moment. Paul was Mr. Intellect and Mr. Discipline, Mr. Strongwill, Mr. The Greatest Pharisee that kept all the rules. And God breaks Paul and makes him the apostle of childlike faith. <laughs> he makes it. Paul's message is, it's not about how intellectual you are. And it's not about how strong your will is. It's about faith. It's, it, he gave Paul, he made Paul the apostle of faith. And we're so grateful for that. He redeemed Paul's weakness and used it. Think about John. John is one of the Sons of Thunder. That's their name. That's what they were nicknamed, the sons of Thunder. We see them in operation in Luke 9 when the the Samaritans, Jesus tells them to go to Samaria to prepare a way, and the Samaritans won't let them come, and they come back, James and John come back and say, Jesus, Jesus, just say one word and we'll call fire from heaven. And just, just, we'll be done with Samaria. Say it. Say it. I'm I'm ready. I'm ready. And, uh, and God redeems that in John and makes him the apostle of love. You read 1 John, it's all about love. Actually, you read John's gospel, it's all about love. That the focus is love. Paul talks about hope and he talks about love, but Paul's the apostle of faith. John talks about hope and he talks about faith, but he's the apostle of love. And now Peter, although he will talk about both love and faith, he is the apostle of hope. He is uniquely, his experiences uniquely prepare him to give hope to struggling Christians. His failure was the most devastating. In, in 1 Peter 5.13 he gives greetings from the whole church that's in Rome and from his son Mark Mark is well known Mark is uh th- that was where the early disciples met in in John Mark's mother's home and Mark Mark traveled with Paul for a while and then Paul sent him back but then Paul uh by the end of his his life Paul says Mark is very helpful to me send Mark to me I love Mark and he but he's Peter's Son in the Lord. He's there with him in Rome. Well, church history tells us that Mark's gospel was Mark sharing from Peter's perspective what happened. Mark was kind of the secretary of Peter in his gospel. So it could be Matthew, Peter, Luke, and John. (laughs) Because Mark wrote it, but it came from Peter. It came from the first apostle. Why am I saying all this? Because the failure of Peter is most brutally told in Mark's gospel. This is Mark 14, 29. Jesus has just said, you're all going to fall away. And Mark writes this, Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. The other Gospels all say that Peter said, I am willing to die for you. But the extent of his arrogance, when Jesus just said they're all going to fall away, they're all going to fall away, the extent of Peter's arrogance is to reply to Jesus, Jesus, he basically says, I agree with you. They will all fall away, but not me. They will all, but not me. Mark records this, that when the cock crowed, that Peter was broken down and wept. We're not sure how low he went, but I have a feeling it was a lot lower than we often imagine. Here's why. When the angel appears after the resurrection, the empty tomb, and the women come to the tomb, oftentimes we get confused because why do they say, why does the angel say different things? Friends, they didn't, They're telling a story to an audience and they're including the details that are relevant for that audience. And so so the idea that there's differences in the story just to historians, that is credibility that these are different witnesses. But only Mark's gospel gives the full thing that the angel said. Most of them just say, tell the the disciples I'm going to go before them in Galilee. But Mark's gospel, written from Peter, gives the full sentence. Go tell the disciples and Peter that I'm going to go before him in Galilee. What, what, What does that say to you? Peter didn't think he was among them anymore. Peter thought he was, that whatever was going to happen now was not for him. It was for everybody else. He has to be named specifically by the angel. Please let Peter know he's included. And then the personal restoration, so intimate. Luke's gospel and Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 are the two witnesses that on that first day, before he appeared to the 11, he appeared personally to Peter. There was a personal appearance. When the two men from the road from Emmaus came back and they said, we've seen him, and the disciples say, Simon has seen him too. Simon has seen him too. When Paul starts his list, he says, Christ was raised from the dead on the third day, and he appeared to Peter, then the eleven, then He's got a list of people who appear. But there's this personal appearance. What happened in that appearance? Peter never talks about it. We have no details in any of the Gospels of what happened. Sometimes God goes one-on-one with us, just for us. Peter needed to be restored. And Jesus went one-on-one with Peter. In 1982, I had been saved less than a year and uh, I, went, I got saved in college and I went back to, to uh, Milton, which is where I lived and there was a, a group called Campus Life and it was a high school group but these were the only Christians I knew about and so I, got, I became part of that group and because I was in college, I was immediately one of the leaders. Larry Schultz was the leader then, he's still the leader today. I had lunch with him last year. He's still doing what he was doing. And uh, Larry, kindest, most welcoming, happiest, non-confrontive person that you would ever meet. But here I am, newly saved. I'm among these high school kids, and I'm a, quote, leader, but I cannot control myself. I am so filled with zeal, And so sure that my devotion is superior to these kids, and so I'm dominating these meetings, these meetings where Larry's trying to draw them out. I am always interjecting, and it's always strong, and it's always if you could basically be more like me. And so Larry sets up this time where he's going to come over to my house personally to talk. One-on-one. And I, I know, oh boy, it's not going to be good. <laughs> Whatever he has, this is going to be bad. And he, I'm literally waiting for him to come. And all of a sudden, I have wave after wave of the love of God come over me. Like I've rarely experienced. And it was so, it was so tender. And I knew what God was saying. He wasn't endorsing what I had done or what I had said, but he was saying, I love you. Whatever gets said here, I want you to know this. I love you. Larry came in, and I, I, the love of God was still on me. And Larry's saying very, for him to say anything confrontive, I knew was very hard. And so he's, he's given me what needs to happen and how I've done wrong and but I'm just, I'm just basking in this love. I'm just receiving it. David said this, Psalm 1835. Your gentleness makes me great. God has an ability to restore us personally that is so intimate and so beautiful that it just... It just makes you love him. But probably more than that, it just, it just lets you know, I don't know why, but I'm loved. What we do get is his public restoration. Did you know there's two charcoal fires in the whole New Testament? Only two. There's only two fires that are made of charcoal. One of them is Peter's denials. And the other one is Jesus publicly restoring him. And he says this. He doesn't ask about Peter's devotional life or Peter's uh, discipline or Peter's. He just says this, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Yes, Lord, I love you. And, and, he, and he recalls him, Feed my sheep, 10-month block. And the last time, he says, Peter, do you love me? And here's what here's Peter says: Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. You know I love you. And Jesus says, Yeah. And I just want you to know it's enough. I believe there's a reason why Peter says to these guys that are struggling and they're grieved and they're going through this, he says, you haven't seen him, but you love him. You love him. And he's saying this, that's enough. That's enough. Even if you're not doing everything perfect, even though everything's hard and difficult and you're you're up and down, it's enough. He knows you love him. that's enough. Peter has now become the rock that Jesus said he would become. Jesus changed his name. His name was Simon and he changed it to Peter and Peter means rock. Jesus looks into this man that is a roller coaster of emotion a roller coaster i'm sure of discipline a roller coaster of of words that he he, he he's he, he's just he's just up and down and he says you're going to be the rock i'm going to make you a rock and now peter has become that rock so how did he become a rock Oh, there was a shift. There was a shift. When we see Peter in the Gospels, Peter thinks it's about his devotion to Jesus. And it's all about his devotion. And he, they're always talking about who's the greatest, and Peter's always winning that argument. That's why he's willing to say it. they might all fall away, but I certainly won. I'm the super apostle. But this, this whole thing has shifted. You read First Peter... And he he says, yes, I am an apostle because that's what God made me. But then he starts talking about what God's done for us. God, the Father, foreknew us and he has elected us election is to when he talks about thus them being the elect, he's talking about God's part in choosing. It's not our part and God calls first and then he elects those who respond. but what Peter wants them to know, it's not about your response, it's about God's choice and he chose you and you are now the elect. And he sent his Holy Spirit that is now sanctifying you. And Jesus' blood is washing you. And he's caused you. He has caused you by his grace to be born again to this living hope. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. See, he's changed from focusing on his devotion to Jesus to Jesus's devotion to him, to God's devotion. The whole Trinity is in on this. They are devoted to me making it, and they're devoted to you making it. I'm not, I just haven't become a rock. You're going to become a rock. You just need to make this shift. You need to make this shift in your thinking. From it's all about you and what you do to it's all about God and what he does. In the summer of 2012, we were on vacation in Michigan. City Church was two years old at the time and they had been a tumultuous two years behind the scenes. Financially, it was questionable whether we were, were going to make it. We had gone through uh, a threatened lawsuit. We we didn't know if our missionaries were going to be getting. We, we just didn't know. We we. It was it was just is very wearing and um. But especially on me, I just kind of as the guy that's in charge and the guy that kind of said this is what God's saying at the beginning. I I, I just was carrying it very very heavy, and. Every week it felt like I I needed to be good enough or, or this thing wouldn't happen. And we're on vacation in Michigan. I wake up in the morning and I have a sentence come to me before I'm fully awake. And here's the sentence. You are like too little butter spread over too much Bread. Pastor Tom, where is that in the Bible? No, no, that's not from the Bible. That's from the Lord of the Rings. (laughs) It's to Bilbo. Bilbo said, I'm I'm like too little butter spread over too much bread. But I knew exactly what it meant. And all I could do at the time is agree with it. Yep, that's exactly what I am. And there was no solution. I just needed to own. That's what it was. I get back to church, summer of 2012, and Joel approaches me and he says tom you need a sabbatical he said i'm going to ask the elders for this and because of that experience i'm just mr i don't need a sabbatical we're going to just keep working at this and and but because of that experience i'm just like okay you can ask them and if, and if they give it then it i'll I'll accept it so in the spring of 2013, Alice and I went on this two-month sabbatical. We get one every seven years. I just got off a, a second one. Um, but this first one was transformational. This, actually, this last one was transformational too, but in a different way. But this first one, the last place we went was um, Bethel in Redding, California. And it was a healing conference. And there was a guy named Chris Gore was leading it, and, um, and the very first night, I remember being in this meeting, and, he, and he, he told us to, we were all pastors there, he said, you need to just relax right now, and allow the ease of heaven to fill this place. I'd never heard that phrase before, the ease of heaven. And as speaker after speaker spoke that week, I started understanding what the ease of heaven was. It was, it, it, it was a shift. It was this shift you focus from what you're doing for God to what God wants to do in and through you. One of the scriptures that just came absolutely alive to me. When I got back to Madison and started preaching, I was preaching through Ephesians at the time. I used the scripture. It's in Isaiah 9 6. It says this. It's 9 6 and 7. Seven's actually the one I'm going to focus on. But the end of six says this, that the government will rest on the shoulders of Jesus. Government doesn't rest on man's shoulders. It rests on his shoulders. And then here's seven. Of the increase... Of his government, his rule, his alignment, and of his peace. And the word is shalom. It's way bigger than our peace. It's it's a sense of well-being. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. And then the verse ends with this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. That Human zeal won't accomplish this. The father's zeal for the son will accomplish this. The father is filled with zeal for his son. And so he's going to make sure that his government, his rule is constantly increasing. And that his peace and shalom is constantly increasing. That this is about the father's zeal. And so I get back, I preach on that verse, and somebody, dear brother, gets me this plaque. That is now on my wall, it's right above my bookcase, and it's it's Isaiah 9 7. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Guys, what's gonna happen to the church in the end times? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 that we're gonna come into the maturity of Jesus Christ we're going to grow up into the fullness of God. We're no longer going to be tossed by waves and by every wind of doctrine, but we're going to grow up into Christ who is the head. Church isn't falling away. The church is going to grow up. Do you know what it says about us in Isaiah 61 verse 3? That because of the Messiah, the anointed one, he is going to make us oaks Of righteousness, the very planting of God, that we might bring praise and glory to Him. God is making us strong. How? By multiplying grace, by multiplying peace, because He can do whatever He wants to. And so, God wants us to make this shift. So here's how I want to end. Worship team can come. If you are here and you just, uh, you've been struggling, been up and down. Maybe you have, in your own way, denied Christ three times. Not just once, three times. Maybe the way you denied Christ is you did that sin again three times. You did that thing that you said you would never do again three times. Maybe you have just, you've just haven't been engaged and, and you just feel like the fire has gone out and God's a million miles away. And you're wondering, how does he feel about you? Today, he wants you to know. <laughs> His eye's on you. The reason why it's hard down here, you're in exile. <laughs> you're in exile. and the, You're not going to get your identity down here from this stuff. You're not going to get the, your identity from these people. Your identity is, has to come from somewhere else. And he's just saying, lift your eyes up. Lift your eyes up past COVID-19, past what the government is doing or isn't doing and what this person thinks and that person thinks. Lift your eyes above whatever news station you listen to. You've got to look higher. Because you're not from here. You're a holy nation. And you're living dispersed by God. And we're really dispersed right now, aren't we? But we're still one holy nation. He's saying, lift up your eyes, open up your hands. And let me speak some things to you. Not only do I know all your struggles, but I know that you love me. I don't just see your failure. I see my great mercy towards you. You are my elect. I have washed you by precious blood i've redeemed you by precious blood i have set you apart i myself have set you apart by my holy spirit and you have a living hope so father i just i pray for that living hope to rise up right now to rise up in every heart That living hope that would give strength, that would give peace, that would realign with the government of heaven. And Lord, we just, we forgive the troubles and the persecutions and all the things. We just understand it. We don't really fit that well on this planet. That's okay. And Lord, as Peter made a shift. At some point, he made a shift from his devotion to you to your devotion to him. And, and Lord, I made that shift. I made a very, it was very real for me just how I thought about my Christianity. It shifted. And I entered in to what we are now calling the ease of heaven where it's about what God is and who God is and what God's gonna do and what grace is capable of doing. And I'm just praying for everyone listening here that you'd make that shift. Instead of looking at your own zeal or lack of zeal, lift your eyes to the Father's zeal for the Son. For the sake of the Son and his zeal for his Son. the shalom of heaven over everyone under the sound of my voice right now. Just increase. Multiply. Be multiplied. Increase. Increase peace. And then increase grace, which is favor. Increase this sense of, I am favored. I'm a favored son. I'm a favored daughter. I'm favored by God. The favor of God is on me. The Lord is blessing me. He's making his face to shine upon me. He's giving me his peace. He's realigning me. His government, I have said it, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Lord, bring your government in my life. Realign me. Whatever's wrong in me, realign me, Jesus. Because I want to be one of those oaks of righteousness. I want to be one of those that's no longer tossed back and forth and blown around. I want to be the rock that you are. So Lord, in Jesus' name, thank you that it's enough that we love you. And we do love you today, Lord.